0: Our passage today is Psalm 32. So, if you have a copy of the Bible, we'll get to the 32nd Psalm in a few minutes. And the second, the 32nd Psalm, is a really a prayer of thanksgiving, but it's not a prayer for uh, thanking God for you know His many gifts. But it's a it's a specific prayer um, for an act of forgiveness that this psalmist. Um, expresses in this Psalm. Augustine, the great teacher, the great, you know, church father, it is said, engraved this Psalm 32, Psalm 32, on the the wall in his bedroom because he said, the beginning of all knowledge, he said, is to know oneself as a sinner. I heard this um, pastor once say that, you know, all... Uh, there's only three kinds of people in the world. He said there there are people who don't feel that they need forgiveness, they don't need to be forgiven. There's people who feel they're too bad uh, to even ask for forgiveness. And then he said there's a third group of people, both in the world really and in the church, he said, who know they need it and they get it. And he said these are the happiest people in all the world. And in the, the, the 32nd Psalm, I would say, is written for this group of people. So if you have a copy of the Bible, follow along as I read um, the 32nd Psalm and a message titled, The Joy of Forgiveness. Verse one, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on them. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore... Let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. This psalm opens, the one we just read, in verse 1 and 2, with two beatitudes, you know, blessed are. And it's interesting uh, to note that the majority of the Beatitudes, and there are many in the Bible, are all found in the book of Psalms, two right here it, that open this psalm. And he wants to open it because he, I think he wants to grab our uh, attention and to, to talk about the joy that apparently is, is um, animating his mind and his heart as he's writing this psalm, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's the joy um, that was hard fought if you read this whole psalm. Because he's telling here in this, in this psalm, once he gets our attention, verse one and verse two, he's telling a story, but it's a very familiar story. I would suggest to you a common story, right? That is why this psalm probably is loved by people and has been for so long. And the common story is this. It's the story of someone who is reluctant, who's digging in their heels, who is avoiding a confession of sin in their life, so much so until they're so weighted down, right? It says, your hand was heavy upon me. You know, he, he's, I, I, I'm groaning all day long. They're, until they're so weighted down, they can hardly function, right? Before they finally reach out to God for some help, right? So the joy of forgiveness, this, this, this psalm is going to teach us about the process of forgiveness, begins with a silence that kills, right? When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. We don't really know what he's talking about. This is a, a colorful way to talk about his depression, but we know this. There's a personal heaviness, there's a weightiness because of some unconfessed sin in his life. And I, and and what this psalm is showing us, okay, the whole thing, I'm gonna do my best in a few minutes, but what it's showing us is what the process of forgiveness looks like. Because forgiveness, which is an ongoing, in day in and day out experience, is a process. It's not simply a transaction. This is where I think some of us, miss it we don't experience the joy that is that is available to us it's the highlight of this psalm beginning and end because we look at sin or excuse me forgiveness as a transaction right almost as if you remember when doing this as a kid maybe uh, maybe even older in high school but i can remember getting a a grade a negative grade let's say it was an f right, and you take the, and you might get it for any number of, you know, uh, even a quiz or something, but you you just take the pen, right, and turn that F into an A, you know, just as, a, as a, a fun way to make yourself feel better, right, turn the F into an A, and I think some of us think that this is what forgiveness is, right, we just come to God and he, you know, he turns our Fs into an A, and in one sense, okay, there is a sense, I don't want to do, um, you know, disjustice, injustice to the gospel. There's a sense in which that is true. Even verse 1 and verse 2 of Psalm 32, the Apostle Paul quotes them in his great discussion in Romans chapter 4 when he's talking about the gospel. And he says, listen, God credits us with Christ's righteousness, imputes Christ's righteousness in exchange for, for um, this putting our sin on the cross of Jesus Christ. In that sense, Romans 4 he even quotes these verses to say, listen, there is a transactional nature to sin in the sense of forgiveness, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking here about the ledger in heaven. He's talking about the feelings that I have for the wrongs that I have done. The feelings I have of being a failure for the things that I've done, that I carry around with me in my life, in my heart, in my mind, long after the accounting with God has been done, I would suggest to you and to me, that's what's killing you, in a manner of speaking. That's what's killing me. That's what's weighing me down. That's what's driving a lot of the self-destructive behaviors in my life and in your life. That's what's behind the, really behind the criticism and and the blame shifting that's so much a part of my life and of your life. That's what's behind the criticism. Listen, it's behind a lot of the behaviors, right? That you and I spend so much of our time on avoiding really, um, listening and and dealing with with the sin and the guilt that we have, hours on television, hours on the internet, I mean, fill in the blank, right? That's what's killing you, a silence that kills. You know, the Bible has this image. Uh, this this idea, you're familiar with it, many of you, of of the burning bush and meeting God at the burning bush. And it, it, of course, it begins, it's in, the actual story comes from Moses in the early chapters of the, of the Bible, when Moses meets God um, on the backside of, of the desert. But see, it's a something that we all have, right? Well, there, there's a truth there. There's a, it's, it's reflective of a spiritual reality, which is this, often we meet God. Right, The last place Moses ever expected to meet God, he wasn't in church, he wasn't in the temple, he wasn't, he wasn't you know, in, in Jerusalem, he wasn't in a sacred place. That's the whole point of the burning bush. He was on a way out in the middle of nowhere, not at all expecting an encounter with God. And he looks and he sees a bush and he sees that is not being consumed by the flames and it draws his attention. The burning bush has represented you know, for thousands of years, unexpected places where we meet God, if we have the eyes and the heart to see it. I'll tell you a quick story about my life. I had one of these experiences. Uh, I've had a few, but one that I remember, it was many years ago in my last church that I served in, and the, and I was, I was on a mission trip in Western India. I was separated from my team, or I was a day behind my team, And, um, but I was stuck at this small domestic airport in Western India. And it was, not only was I stuck there because of a delay, it was raining, I can still see it in in my imagination. I mean, it was pouring so hard out there. And the plane was delayed. It was, there was only a handful of people at this small airport. There wasn't a lot to do, there wasn't extra flights. There wasn't, you know, there was no, uh, there was nothing else to do. I just had to wait for this flight many, many hours. I didn't, uh, there was only a few people there, but I didn't speak the language. There wasn't a lot to do, but there was a small little bookshop. And in this bookshop that was so small, only one or two people could be in it, um, there was only a handful of books in in English because it was, I was in India. So the book that I looked at and bought, okay, it was a book about growth, right? It was kind of about spiritual growth, but it was a book... I, I know I would never have bought probably if I was at JFK or if I was at Barnes & Noble, but it was the book I bought here because I didn't have a lot to choose from. And this was a book not written by a pastor. It's actually written by a psychiatrist, not a Christian as far as I know. But I sat down, and as I read that book, I can say to you now, lo these many years later, it was one of the most foundational um Books I I read and has had a foundational impact. It started a journey of learning that I have continued on until this day, right? God wanted to say something to me, and this is how He chose to say it. So I dug in. When I was reading the 32nd Psalm and studying it, this book came to mind, and even this passage from a section in the book called Problems and Pain. Listen to these words. This tendency, to avoid problems and the emotional suffering inherent in them is the primary basis of all human mental illness. Since most of us have this tendency to a greater or lesser degree, most of us are mentally ill to a greater or lesser degree. Some of us will go to quite extraordinary lengths to avoid our problems and the suffering they cause. Proceeding far afield from all that is clearly good and sensible in order to try to find an easy way out, building the most elaborate fantasies in which to live sometimes to the total exclusion of reality. But the substitutes ultimately become more painful than the legitimate suffering they were designed to avoid. Sound familiar? And in this case, this writer is not only talking about the weight of their guilt. I was kept silent. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. I was groaning all day long, right? There's this heavy weight, kind of a depression that this person is talking about. But on top of the guilt of unconfessed sin, verse four says, there's the hand of God. For day and night, your hand, he's talking to God, it's a prayer, was heavy on me my strength was sapped listen to the simile as in the heat of summer ever feel that way saying listen it was not only would I have this weight, this guilt this this heaviness, but i I, I didn't even want I hardly wanted to get out of bed. it was as if the strength of my life was, it was like in the middle of a very long day out in the sun i I had no strength left and you'd say, well, this is. No wonder people don't go to God. No wonder people avoid their problems. This is exactly why you might say to yourself, I don't come to God with my sin because I have enough trouble for me just to le- feel the weight and the guilt of my sins, those feelings. Now I got to have God's judgment. But he's not talking about God's judgment. God's hand is heavy upon him, not to drive him deeper in a hole, but to try to turn him, turn me, turn you toward The true way to have our needs met. The true place to find freedom, which is in the confession of our sin. Do not be like the horse or the mule, right? That's what he's saying. That's what we're like. God's just trying to turn you or turn me. Who must be controlled by bit or bridle or they will not come to you. Listen, the joy of forgiveness begins, I think, okay? for many of us, with a silence that kills. Maybe that's true in your life. I believe it probably is, right? But there is a better way. This is the heart of this psalm, and the better way is an unguarded truth-telling. That's what the psalmist comes down to, an unguarded truth-telling. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, right, after this long wait, and did not cover up my iniquity, right? Here's the truth. This. This Psalm is telling us, I acknowledge my sin to you, I did not cover up any longer my iniquity. Listen, it's the cover up that's killing you, that's killing me, not the sin, that's what he's saying. Now David wrote this Psalm and we don't know why he wrote this Psalm, right? We don't know the specific conditions behind it, we don't know the historical reference behind what is the specific sin, but we know some things about David and many of us know. If, you know, if if we were the first thing that comes to mind or first few things, is David's great sin with Bathsheba. Now, I don't know if that's what's being talked about here. When he had murder, he committed murder uh, of the of the, uh, of the husband of this woman for with whom he had an adulterous relationship. So a huge, huge moment in David's life. We don't know if that's what he's talking. But here's what we do know about that situation, which applies between the time of that sin. If you have to read first and second Samuel, and the time of his confrontation, a great deal of time passed. And during that time, okay, months, years, David went through extraordinary lengths to cover up his sin. It took a lot of energies, so much so that when the prophet Nathan came to him, if you know this story, okay? Uh, I think it's Second Samuel eleven. To finally, he was sent by God to call David out, and and he does it in this colorful little um, parable about a about a poor man um, who uh, uh, who was um, whose sheep a rich man had taken. Right? There was a, a, a who this guy only had one sheep, and this rich man had many. But the rich man, in his selfishness and pride and arrogance, took the sheep from the small man, and he tells this story to David, and David's so fired up, right? He'd become so used to pointing his fingers at other people for his own problems, right? This is the consequence of not dealing with sin in your life, that he says, find that man, arrest him, and kill him. He doesn't even deserve to live. And Nathan had to say, David, I'm talking about you. You shouldn't even, even, by the time I finished this story, it should have been clear to you that I was talking about you. But see, David was so used to blaming others. He had these elaborate strategies to avoid his guilt, to avoid his sin, that when it was confronted with it, he didn't even see it. See, that's the danger that you and I have. But here's the beautiful story thing about David and why I believe David is considered among other reasons, a man after God's own heart. When Nathan finally pointed out and said, listen, David, you're the person I'm talking about. This is you. I'm telling your story. David immediately responded. He immediately took responsibility. Once he saw it, he said, I have sinned. I am this person. I've sinned against the Lord. God forgive me. The, the, and here's the big idea. Once the cover-up is over, the release is immediate. This is what we're longing for. See, we spend so much time wasting so much time running from our problems, you know, elaborate strategies to cover them over, right? Even religion can be that. Elaborate strategies to cover them over. But once the cover-up is over, the release is immediate. This is forgiveness. This is joy. Listen, the first principle of the Christian life is forgiveness. It's what makes a Christian, a Christian. That's what this, this is so important. It's the true source of joy, and it's because. Why is forgiveness the true source of joy? Because it puts you in touch with God's unfailing love. Verse 10, but the Lord's unfailing love. This, this is what the writer's trying to tell us, tell me and you. The Lord's unfailing love. It's different than your love and my love surrounds those who trust in him. You say, listen, this love is all around you. All you need to do is reach out and touch it. There is a silence that kills, but if you have the eyes to see it, right? the burning bushes in your life and in mine, you move toward them and you're able to confess your sin, to acknowledge that sin and allow God to forgive not just your sin, but the guilt of your sin. The New Testament writer, John the apostle, will say these words. Um, verse eight of 1 John 1. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's important. There's a lot of self-deception going on. It has to begin with an honest confrontation, an honest uh, acknowledgement. Psalm 32 verse five. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and us from all unrighteousness." Guys, this, is, this isn't something we're encouraged to do occasionally in life. What, what Psalm 32 is talking about, the process of forgiveness, what 1 John is illustrating for us in a, in a propositional uh, teaching way is saying, listen, it's it's the way you live your life. It's the engine. It's the center of the Christian life. It's the place of true freedom. It's the place of true joy right there's a silence that kills it's true for all of us there's an unguarded truth telling that is where we find true freedom and if we find it last in this psalm it it brings a new boldness for living a new boldness for living the end of this psalm it's almost like it's it's like this person has done this complete 180 They go from being this depressed, weighted down, uh, their strength is sapped as in the heat of summer, what an amazing image, I have no energy at all, I can't even get out of bed, to now it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, I will counsel you with a loving eye on you. In other words, I have something to say. I'm going to be an instructor and encourager of other people. How did that happen? Because when you have the true experience of forgiveness that kind of joy, that kind of release, right? When the cover-up cover is over, the release is immediate. It gives you a new confidence, a new boldness for living. Let me say this and as we conclude this, this message. The challenges that we are facing, you and I today, I'm talking specifically about what's happening in our society, the coronavirus, even the, the many racial tensions and the and the problems that we're facing even in the last many weeks, okay? The challenges that we're facing are unique to us, right? We haven't had these happen, in, say in my lifetime or your lifetime, but they're not unique to the history of the world, right? They're, it's just our opportunity, our moment. I was having this extended conversation with this friend of mine who's who's not a, um, a, a Christian uh, person, but we were talking about these issues and he wanted to make a point to me and he brought up a few names. I could, You would know these names. He said, so and so and so and so, these men and women, they're making a material difference in the world today on these, on these issues. And they happen not to be Christians. And you know, I said to him, listen, I couldn't agree more. And as far as I'm concerned, they have my full support, I'm cheering them on, and in a manner of speaking, they're doing God's work. But I said, let me say something else. It's true of these individuals and the many others that have preceded them in previous generations. They're helping to alleviate human suffering. They're helping to ameliorate some of our problems. But there's a big difference, I said to him, between pain relief and a cure, right? Big difference between pain relief and a cure. There's only one place to get a cure, right? It's in the forgiveness of sin, right? The sin below every other sin, the problem below every other problem. It's not about distribution of wealth. It's not about access to, um, you know, goods and services or education. All these are good things. The sin below every sin, the problem below every problem is a sin. Is the sin against God. That's what's weighing us down. That's what's driving our unhealth, self-destructive behaviors. And the only way to cure that is forgiveness. And I went on to say, you know, um, even though these many uh, these friends that you're talking about, these, these great leaders are in, in our society, and the, I would I would I said, I want to make a case to you this that that some of them aren't Christians. But if you went back and found, listed the hundred great you know, difference makers in the last many, many generations, I could make a case, I believe, a persuasive case that a majority of them were people of deep faith because, I said to him, they could see, the connection between this, between the next world and this one, right? And that connection, I suggest to you, the heart of that connection is the forgiveness of sin. And when you and I truly not only experience it once, but learn how to make it a way of life, right? We'll know a kind of joy, we'll know a kind of confidence, we'll know a kind of power that can allow us not only to be free from many of the, the, the foolish behaviors, going back to my quote in that book, to the, to, the, to the elaborate fantasies that eat up so much of our time and waste so much of our energies, um, but we're able to be free from the things that weigh us down, free from the spiritual uh, depression that many of us carry around with us long after our sins are forgiven, right? We'll be freed not only from our sin, but from the guilt of our sin, and freed up, right, to walk in a new freedom and go out into a world with a new boldness to be real difference makers um, in the challenges that we're being faced. So this is my hope for you. This is my hope for me um, as we close this message this morning. Join me as, as we pray. God and Father, I just thank you for the the opportunity to be here this morning. I thank you for this this great um, prayer, this this great text, the 32nd Psalm, which has spoken through history and speaks uh, into this history today. I pray, Lord, that you would apply it, open up our minds, open up our hearts, every one of us listening to this message right now to the truth, the truths that are found in this um, great text of scripture, that we would acknowledge that there is a silence that kills, that is killing many of us in a manner of speaking. Lord, a silence that's a a refusal, a a rejection or a a turning our back from what we most need to do, a reluctance to seek forgiveness, but that there is an unguarded truth-telling that we can do by just simply turning our lives to you, by opening ourselves to you, by acknowledging completely our sin before you, that we might know not only forgiveness, but we might know release from the guilt of our sins, and that we might know a new boldness uh, for living today. Uh, in our lives, in this world that we live in. I pray that for everyone listening to me, I pray it for myself, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Robin. What a great reminder that through forgiveness, we can experience a greater boldness in Jesus Christ. And if you are new with us uh, today, I wanna thank you for joining us. We would love to connect with you. And so would you text the word welcome to the number on the screen? And we would love to come beside you as you explore faith or get deeper engaged in the life of our church. And to everyone else, I wanna thank you for joining us today. Have a great week.